0: Welcome to our current edition of State of the Industry Podcast. We come to you periodically with um, things that are going on in the industry and talk about, well, a lot of us focused on M&A issues because that's really a big factor in our in our industry right now. And uh, I'm excited for this program today because we've got our very own Pete Engelken joining us. And Pete's our chief operating officer. Uh, Pete's been with Allworth for eight or nine years. Uh, and before that, Pete was... The president of a, a, a company that Pat McLean and I started uh, on reverse mortgages, Liberty Liberty reverse, reverse mortgages and under Pete's leadership grew that firm from scratch essentially to a couple hundred employees. Genworth Financial bought the company. Pete continued on, grew it to about 500 employees, then came to join here join us at Allworth to help us grow Allworth. and Pete he started out as a um, CPA originally. Uh, in the nineties he was in the um, telecommunication I internet remember when you used to dial up those um, you have to dial up your internet provider. That modem so Pete,
1: Di- dial up modem. Dial
0: yeah. up modem. So Pete was in the dial up modem business. That's old school. But, but the reason I the reason it's pertinent is because the firm that his firm they acquired a bunch of other firms. Then they were acquired by a much larger firm and then Pete stayed on with a team that they did a couple hundred acquisitions during Pete's um, Tenure there, so he has a tremendous amount of experience in M and A in general, and of course as Chief Operating Officer of Allworth Financial for the last eight years um, of the, the transactions, both of our private equity partners as well as the thirteen other transactions we've done, he's got a tremendous amount of experience in transactions. So, Pete, thank you for taking a little bit of your busy day to join us.
1: Well, thanks for that uh, introduction. Uh, appreciate that, and thanks for having me back on the show. It's always a pleasure to be part of the podcast.
0: And th- our topic today is what does it take to be a buyer? So first of all, like, what are the advantages to buying a firm or bringing on a partner to the firm? Like, what what is it from an organizational standpoint are we trying to achieve?
1: Well, I, we see a number of different reasons that people uh, decide that they want to jump into buying a practice or merging their practice with somebody else. Um, and I, I think one is just growth. So, you know, it, it's interesting. So I may have a, a a practice and you may have a practice, Scott, and we're thinking, well, let, let's get together and, and we get together. and, and, and then we both look at our practice and and say look look how much we've grown when you know the practice really hasn't grown much but we've put you know mine together with yours and together it is larger so I think there's that sense of you know we we are growing but there are and there can, are, can
0: someone make an uh, argument in this market that that alone makes some sense
1: yeah it might it it, it might because uh, certainly you have the opportunity to add scale, so you can begin to share share, share resources. You can spread uh, costs. You can, you know, maybe gain some specialization. Uh, you might gain a new market uh, that you can grow in. So, yeah, I think there's a number of business reasons why, you know, one plus one could actually equal more than two, and particularly in our industry. Um, you know, the larger businesses tend to be more valuable. So, you know, there there is this arbitrage, this valuation arbitrage just associated with being larger. So, yeah, I mean, th- there are definitely some reasons uh, f- for doing so. And, and then there's also the su- succession planning issue. Um, and some advisors will use uh, an acquisition to uh, bring on a next generation that ideally they'll be able to transfer the business to in the future. So I think there's a number of reasons why firms consider this.
0: Yeah. I think part of it is that people see all the activities and think, well, maybe this is what I should be doing. Um, there's,
1: there's certainly the trendy element. It is isn't there. I mean, you, you, you wake up in the morning and you can't open a, you know, your, your <laughs> every email is like another the, acquisition. Yeah. There's just some firm is acquiring or merging or something. I think we just had a, another quarter of a record number of transactions in the last quarter. And this year's projected to be, you know, more transactions than there have been in prior years. It just, you know, and I, I I, I think this trend is going to continue. So yeah, there's certainly this notion of, look, everybody's doing it. The industry is consolidating. I should be participating.
0: And maybe you could share f- briefly, like what, what do, what is it really, <laughs> what's that process look like when, a firm going through the whole process of meeting a firm for the first time, getting to the point where you've got an agreement in place, integrating the firm, integrating the individuals, like run us through what that what that time frame kind of is.
1: And how much time do we have on this <laughs> on this year? <laughs>
0: well, Joe Rogan takes three I mean, hours, you, you, but I don't think we're gonna take three hours. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. Um it is a really integrate. It, it, is, it, is it is a complicated process to uh, find the right firm, uh, figure out a transaction, and then go through the integration. So it's, there's this this study that's uh, often cited. Um, this data point from uh, Harvard uh, business, business School that 70 to 90 percent of mergers fail, and of course, the definition of fail is is wide and and I think what they're saying is that most of them don't end up reaching you know the potential that that uh, they had hoped that they would reach It's not that that many actually blow up. But uh, I think the point is they're really, really difficult to do and to get right. And it's because they are super complicated. So first of all, you've got to find the right the, the right partner. It's got to you's got to have the right culture, you know in in our industry, you have to have similar views on so many different things as it relates to how do you serve the client, you know, planning, asset management, client experience, et cetera. So, you know, our experience is you have to talk to a lot of people to be able to find a right fit. Um, And then once you sort of feel like, okay, I think culturally this is a good match, then you begin to work on, okay, well, what would the framework of a transaction look like? So you start trying to figure out what are the basic terms of a purchase or a merger, is there going to be equity exchange? Is there going to be cash involved? Is there going to be debt involved? So you kind of work through that. Uh, and then there's almost always some financing issues that you have to deal with. So is there is there debt involved? Um, and, you know, do you get the debt from a bank? Do you get it from family and friends? Does one of the partners assume some debt, you know, in a transaction? And, you know, one partner has to pay another partner to make sure that, you know, the, the transaction works and everything's fair. And once you figure all that out then you have all the legal issues you have you have all of the the structuring are you buying assets are you buying equity are you, you know which liabilities are you assuming you've you got employee benefits retirement plans i mean it just goes on and on things that you you have to figure out um and then you've got regulatory issues you've got client consents you have due diligence that you have to
0: let's spend let's, time, let's, let's know, stop at client party. client consent here for a moment because um how do how does that, sometimes, I just know in our own experience, sometimes we have a negative consent, sometimes we have positive consent. Can you just briefly talk about what that means? Because that's something I don't think anyone, I don't hear anyone in the industry talking about, and it's a, certainly a big deal for us when we're looking at bringing on a new partner. It's
1: certainly a big deal. And uh, in our industry, uh, every, every client should have a, an investment advisory agreement, so it's the agreement between the investment advisor and the client lays out all the terms of the relationship and it, there should be a provision in that agreement it's it's typically called the assignment provision and what it typically says is that this agreement may not be assigned without consent of both parties now there's different variations on that and in some cases it says you must get written consent from the client to assign the agreement. In other cases, uh, it doesn't say that writ- written consent is required. And uh, so you you can do what's called a negative consent, which is just notify the client that you're gonna be assigning the agreement. And, and the importance around the assignment is whenever there's a merger or a change of control in, in an RIA, um, uh, the SEC deems that to be a change, uh, it, it it deems, uh, it triggers an assignment requirement for the agreement. So um, you either then have to go back to the client with a negative consent, which is just a, a notice saying, uh, we intend, uh, you describe the transaction and, and let the client know that we intend to put these two companies together, or company A is purchasing company B or you're merging describe the transaction, and you let the client know, unless you tell me otherwise, your agreement is going to be assigned. Um, So that would be a negative consent, and in a positive consent, you do something similar, but you do it in writing, and the client is required to actually sign that and send it back uh, to, to the company, and, and that would be a positive concept.
0: Now, how about if, it's an if important issue? How about if somebody is a uh, hybrid rep? So they're a, they're at LPL or Commonwealth or Cambridge or one of the other broker dealers, uh, and they are using their uh, RA. Well, how's the assignment that's part a, work a, then?
1: Right. Right. Yeah, in and in not in all cases can you assign the agreement. So in many cases, if if you are an advisor of a corporate RIA, of say, an IBD, I think you used LPL as, as an example, those agreements are not assignable. And so in that situation, um, if an independent rep or an investment advisor representative working for an uh, independent broker-dealer uh, is going to leave and join another RIA... You have to redocument the entire transaction, so um, it's a new investment management agreement. Typically involves opening, you know, all new financial accounts with the custodian and any related paperwork. So that that can certainly be uh, more of a time-consuming and and involved process.
0: And how often does do accounts need to be repapered? So you just the last example is clearly a time when you're going to require a signature from um, all the clients and and actually. Uh, I don't know what percentage are uh, e-signatures work fine and what percentages need actual papers.
1: Well, in most cases, the the e-signatures will work. And so as long as you have the technology for, say, DocuSign or other e-signature technology and the client is uh, comfortable using the technology, you can use electronic signatures. And, in fact, we're using that uh, more and more as we have to do these. but. Um, there still is a fair amount of uh, actual uh, uh, physical physical documents that are that are being sent back and forth. So, you know, I, I you know, fast forward a you know a year or so, I, I think a high percentage will be um, electronic. But you know, today it's probably it's probably fifty fifty at best. All
0: right. So we get. We, we find the first of all you find the right partner right uh, the right firm to, to merge with purchase acquire or whatever you want to call it find the right partner come to some sort of agreement on terms do the figure out where you're going to get the the capital for that if you'd have it yourself fine otherwise you' got to go finance it get an agreement together uh, the legal document uh, together we've then now identified like what our clients need to sign in order to get these the accounts transferred over, uh, walk us through those other steps that are necessary when you're looking at bringing on a firm.
1: Well, so you, you, have all the due diligence that, that you need to do to, um, you know, sort of ensure that, that, the the firm that you're acquiring and all of the, you know, pieces and parts are in fact, what you believe that they are. So you'll go through that process, um, and then once the transaction closes then you'll you'll jump into integration issues um, and uh, the the transaction is a lot of work, but frankly the integration is a lot more work and this is an area where you see uh, a lot of transactions really start to experience challenges because now you're trying to put these businesses together and so um, yeah, you sort of, you know, you think you check the box on culture up front. Let's assume that you've done that now. you got to get the people together and you start working through, okay, what are the processes? How did you do this on, you know, Scott, how did you do this in your firm? Uh, here's how that we did this in our firm. And we have to figure out, are we going to do something similar or are we going to decide on best practices? So you have to figure those things out then you have systems. So you use e-money, I use Money Guide Pro. Well, are we going to continue doing that going forward? Are we going to use the same thing? Um, you have branding, you have marketing, you have business partners. There's just so many aspects of the business that you have to work your way through and determine if we're truly going to be integrated together, what are the differences and how are we going to combine those um, and be one firm and that's a lot of work it can take uh it can it can take a long time
0: yeah particularly when you're looking at uh, crms that need to be (laughs) changed uh, but i I mean i guess that that's why you see some firms that don't integrate at all they're just kind of the aggregators um and yeah companies stay on their own what's i mean what's what's the downside of that approach
1: Well, it's, it it can certainly be uh, an easier path um, because there are fewer things that that you have to deal with. Of, of course, the downside to that is you never you never truly realize the benefits, all of the benefits, of getting together. So, in that situation, you know you're, the different partners and different parts of the practice are doing things very differently, and so you just miss out on the scale and the process improvement and, uh, and, and systems and technologies that you know, should all lead to client benefits that never fully get realized. There's not a consistent experience from the client across the firm. There may be multiple brands. So you know, that ends up being more of a probably financial uh, benefits, but think you're leaving a lot on the table and i think you know we are seeing this evolution in the industry where there are a number of firms that are out there that have been active in the marketplace or have acquired firms many firms you know and in the beginning there wasn't a lot of integration and we have seen yep. you know time and time again that some of these firms have now started to move and realize we have to start putting these firms together and we have to start realizing the benefits of being fully integrated.
0: I think, well, some of the pitch might've been that, Oh, you don't need to change anything. Keep using your same system. Keep right. And after a couple of years now, the tune's changed a bit. Right. And how about as far as the, the, the people, because we are very much people dependent person. We are advisory firms. Our clients value interaction with human beings. That's why they use our firms and not just have all robo stuff. So, um, what's your experience been with the founders and the employees of these firms that are joining so if if i'm thinking about if i'm listening to this i'm thinking about being an acquirer what do i need what do i need to be concerned about as far as integrating these new people into the organization
1: yeah i think you you, you need to be prepared for a wide wide variety of issues so um you know, you have those that are a little more comfortable with change, and um, and so um, you know, moving to new processes, being part of a, a new organization, a new environment, uh, tends to be a bit more comfortable for some people. And then, you know, for others, uh, it is a lot more uncomfortable. And and people in general don't love change. So, you know, you you tend to get a lot of that. And so you have to you have to be fully prepared for the challenges of change management and anyone who spent, you know, a bunch of time kind of in that area knows it's, 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 it's messy business. So uh, from, from the people standpoint, this tends to be the most challenging aspect of any integration, you know, the systems processes, you can work, work through that, you know, fairly easy, but you know, people are uh, uh, emotional creatures and, and, uh, in many cases, they are uh, attached to the ways of doing things. In some cases, there's pride of ownership. Of, of, well, almost always there's pride of ownership. I was going to say. In, in, in Typically,
0: there's pride of ownership.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, the, there's a lot of work associated with trying to uh, find, uh, a, you know, common interest or shared commitment to the change, and it's uh, it's a lot of work.
0: So we've done uh 12 13 transactions in the last uh 36 months just over. Our and our our first one was a firm in Cincinnati. Uh maybe you can briefly talk about what the kind of what what the people went through over that period of time. When did it take before they felt like they're part of the team and and felt like they were thriving?
1: Yeah, it um I think, to be fair, it 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 took it took months, and we spent a lot of time up front trying to uh, to, to understand sort of what was the what was the current state. so uh, what was everybody doing? what systems were they using, what worked well, what didn't work well? Um, and on the all were side. Uh, you know, you're sharing information, so here's how Allworth does things, systems, here's what works well, what doesn't work well, and then you develop a plan to put those things together, and that, you know, that takes months to go through and do that, and then once you've decided what you're going to do, you start actually putting the pieces together and putting it in practice, so that's, you know, sort of phase two of the process, and it's really uncomfortable in the beginning. So there's a lot of change going on, and people are uncomfortable with change, and 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 so it takes some time to to get comfortable. And that's you know takes you know several months as well. So I, I mean, I think it was we were into year two before you know, people were feeling like I'm I, I'm starting to feel pretty comfortable uh, uh, in, in my role here. And now what we're, we're north of three years into it. And it, it's interesting. You, you have conversation with, with uh, some of the folks that went through that and they will say, boy, it felt really painful in the beginning as we were going through it. Um, but boy, we, it, it is so much better now. And we're so happy that we did go through that process. Um, so it's, it takes it takes quite a while, and I think there's I think this is an area too where you know you you mentioned earlier that that in some cases firms don't don't integrate. Um, there's also firms that do try and integrate, and but they only partially integrate. So they'll 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 do the easy stuff. They like change the name. Maybe they'll get yeah yeah they'll change the name. Uh, you know, maybe they'll change the technology. We're now using Money Guide Pro instead of using, you know, three or four different planning systems, et cetera. But they don't fully integrate everything. And it's it's especially if you don't have people that are doing this full time, it's just hard to do. It's incredibly time consuming. And for smaller firms, everybody has their day job, right? And this is extra work on top of that. And so it's a grind. It it uh, and over time, you know, it can certainly take its toll. So I think we, we, we see a lot of situations where, you know, the job only gets, you know, 75% done, 50% done. Um,
0: and if and it's not go, fully integrated, right now,
1: we'll, we'll
0: I mean, the challenge with, with that full integration where everyone's on the, very, actually, the same systems and 100%, one, it, it, you, it's hard to get any real data of what's working and what's not working. And um, two, it's hard to have a consistent client experience.
1: That's right, that's right, and it it just it constantly creates multiple points of friction in the business, and you know there there are many things that you know you'll say, well, we can live with that, we we can live with that, but when those start to add up, it just you know becomes overhead on the business, and like you said, if it's not creating a great client experience, that's you know that that's when it can be challenging for the business. Yeah, and I think it's running
0: the business. it's it's interesting when you look at some of the um, the firms out there doing some acquisitions. That um, some I don't know what their end objective is, other than to bolt on a bunch of firms. Um, there's some other good ones out, out there that I think have a have a pretty good mission. But I mean, I, I think part for us would is it's really about finding uh, firms that want to be part of Allworth to help us create a national firm that we have a very consistent client experience across all of our offices so that someone can feel confident in referring their aunt to Allworth, knowing that they'd have a very consistent financial planning approach, investment management, et cetera. Um, and, and that's that's really what's one of our major drivers behind our partnership program. Um, and But I think yeah. it's interesting. Go ahead. No, please finish. I mean, I just think it's, it's, it's an interesting time we're in right now, it's just in the... Where we are in this market cycle with the M and A, there's a lot of people just jumping in, looking at this as I don't know if it's just a quick money maker for them, or I mean, I guess um, it could be, but it needs to work long term, otherwise, it could, it's not going to stick.
1: Right, right, and, and as we talked about earlier, there might be some financial benefits to you know putting together some smaller firms to create you know, some enterprise value for a larger firm, but you know ultimately ultimately you're gonna create a a a a great durable firm that creates a consistent you know generates a consistent client experience um by fully integrating. And I think, you know, for, for Allworth, we had that vision from from day one when when we decided that we were gonna launch into this strategy, we we were very clear about the notion of developing a consistent client experience anywhere throughout the US and we knew that there was no possible way that we could do that without fully integrating these firms so um, you know we were we, we, I, you know we, we, we took our time getting started we talked about the, the that first transaction that we did um, we spent a lot of time trying to get that right and the teams learned a lot about what works uh, and, and what doesn't work um, and so I do, I do uh, think there's an opportunity.
0: Yeah. I, I had breakfast maybe a year ago or so with um, a gentleman. He was uh, maybe 30, age 30, somewhere early thirties. And uh, he had a uh, small practice, but you, you know, our industry works. You don't really need that many clients and that much AUM to have a fairly profitable business. So he had a very small business and he was seeking my advice and maybe he had, I don't know, 25 million under management or 30 million or something. And I said, if I were in your position, I would go look at other small, other small firms to acquire. Essentially, I'd go find some other people that are aging that don't have a huge book, but have a few hundred thousand in revenue. And I said, it's just you. you I mean, in some of these, these small ones are just so much easier to integrate when you can just be the advisor on there, or there's two advisors in the organization, or whatnot. I, I do think there's some opportunity in kind of that small level to create a um, a medium sized firm that that might have some value to the marketplace.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And to the extent that you really can put them together and truly integrate them, you will create some value. There's no doubt. And the smaller ones are certainly much easier. Typically there's, well, there's fewer people, one. Um, Two, uh, typically the systems are not as complicated, and so it's easier, to sort of find a common, uh, you know, technology and systems path. And, you know, to the extent that you can find a, a like-minded firm, you might you might have the you know, share a common custodian. Um, that helps a lot as well. So I, I completely agree. That could be an opportunity. I think the key there is that you go in with your eyes wide open about what is it going to take to put these firms together, and then you're able to follow through and actually put those firms together, and you'll absolutely create some enterprise value.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also important for people to really look at what what is it they're trying to accomplish here. Are they just trying to make a few a few extra dollars? Okay. Um, are they trying to solve a client need? All right. Are they trying to create an environment for other employees to continue to grow and to flourish? Like, I think it's important to kind of determine early on like what what is the objective. Are you buying a firm because they have a certain skill set that you don't have? Whether it's Maybe it's a tax planning firm or maybe it's a 401k firm or something along those lines. Um, and being really, real clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish. Because I think if it's just for the finances, um, it's probably not going to work long term.
1: Agreed. There, there, there must be a deeper vision around uh, why does it make sense to do this.
0: Yeah. And I think just even talk <laughs> with the, the people that have joined us through our M&A. Um, some of you have used this as a path to retire, right? So it's like they they're at the retirement age, and it's like time for me to retire. So I'm going to look for a firm, or if, even just a succession planning. I'm going to be retiring the next few years. But I think for others, it's um, it's given them just a, a a larger playing field to to use their skills. And some of them are find themselves in their 40s and 50s, and they still they believe they can add a lot of value to the industry. And by being uh, a part of a, a large organization, they could have they could really leverage their their skill set and their influence um, to a, to a much larger degree than if they remained independent.
1: Yeah, agree, agreed. Uh, almost every partner that that uh, well, it, I I think everyone that we've partnered with, um, you know, fits into one of those two segments. Either you know, I'm looking to um, you know find a glide path to to retirement, you know, three to five years. Um, but a lot of them are still really enthusiastic about helping clients. Uh, They may be tired of running a business that they never really expected that they would be um, spending as much time, you know, actually running the business as they are. Um, But they get energized over the notion uh, of being able to focus their energy on the things that they like to do best. And we certainly see some people that specialize in a particular area and, they they see this as an opportunity to be able to to do that on a larger playing field, which which was exciting for us, uh, and certainly exciting for them. So we, we, I think we we've seen some people, you know, get re-energized um, as they're able to shed some of the things that they just you know were um, getting tired of doing.
0: Yeah, well, it's it'll be interesting to see the next several years with um If you look at the average, there there are more. Uh, <laughs> There are more certified financial planners. These are practicing certified financial planners, dues-paying financial planners, over age 70 than under age 30. Uh, So clearly our industry still has a big succession (laughs) plan issue uh, to deal with. And um, so I I think the the number of of transactions is going to continue to increase, if not explode, over the next five years.
1: Yep, I, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. Well, Pete, I greatly appreciate taking a little time today.
1: Well, Scott, it was
0: uh, great to be back again. Thanks for having me, and uh, have a great day. All right, thanks. And uh, for, the, for you all, uh, if you want to learn more about Allworth, uh, allworthpartners.com is a great webpage there. We've got uh, uh, some other podcasts, the previous podcasts that we've done, as well as some stories of some of the partners who've joined us and, in their own words, why they did what's working for them, that sort of thing. So allworthpartners.com and wish you nothing but success. Thanks. This podcast has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm with the Securities and Exchange Commission.